Well, if you would, let's open up our Bibles this morning. So please get a Bible and open up to the Gospel of John, John chapter 16. We are going to be starting in where we, the second half of the verse where we left off last week in verse 4. And as you're turning there, just kind of, Linda touched on this a little bit, but just kind of a reminder of where we are in, in Jesus' story here. Jesus, his hour has come, John calls it the hour, and that hour includes Jesus being arrested by a large crazy mob, gone, being put through a kangaroo court trial, executed by crucifixion, buried, and then by God's great power and his authority over life and death, raised from the dead. But one of the things that we often miss as we think about that, that and I've, I've talked, talked, talked about it a couple times, is this is the end of a journey for Jesus and it's also the end of a portion of a relationship with Jesus and his disciples. Because Jesus and his disciples had spent three years, day, virtually day and night together. And if you've ever had, a, had somebody who you've been together that long with, usually it's a spouse, um, or in the case of uh, in the case of armed forces, those guys are in the trenches together, facing serious threats. And what has to exist there? What has to exist for that relationship to work well? It has to be trust, because you gotta you gotta know that the guy with you in the foxhole is going to be able to cover your back when you get up to. To take some shots and the same in marriage you've got to know and you've got to be able to trust that your husband or your wife has your back your husband or your wife is going to support you and that you're going to support each other and now granted that's not easy but here let me put pitch this question to you what if the leader of your team in that foxhole, who you've been with through a whole bunch of fighting, who you've come to trust, respect, and admire, he comes to you and he says, okay guys, I'm being called back home. I'm gonna send another guy in here. He's gonna do a great job, I promise you. You've never met him, but he's gonna do a great job. How are you feeling at that moment? I mean, you've built, you've built a relationship with this guy. And now he's going, and then there's somebody brand spanking new showing up? It's a little difficult to start the trust there. It's a little, it's a little bit almost impossible to just say, well, okay, my, my other team leader says he was, he was a good guy, so, oh yeah, sure, we'll trust him. Maybe. How do we trust? How do we trust him? Because that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's been telling his disciples, I'm going away. And guess what? I'm sending someone else. I'm going away and I'm sending someone else. In fact, he says it three or four times. And they still don't get it. <laughs> so the question is, 
When Jesus leaves, and for us as a church today, when Jesus isn't physically here, how do we trust the person of God who is here, the Holy Spirit? Is he trustworthy? Can we depend on him as we depend on Jesus? Well, that's what this text is going to address this morning. So would you stand with me, hopefully you've gotten there, to John chapter 16. Beginning in second half of verse 4 all the way down to verse 15. Let's hear the word of God. I did not say these things to you, Jesus speaking, from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. May have a seat. So what does this text teach us? What is Jesus encouraging us to believe? He is saying that the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus is trustworthy. The Holy Spirit sent by Jesus is someone who we can embrace and we can follow. Now this text talks about a lot of how he is trustworthy. Because the question is, okay, Jesus says he's trustworthy. Well, what should we trust about him? Well, first, we should trust that Jesus sent him. Because Jesus says, I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks where are you going. And then he says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now here's a question. And I read this in a commentary, and I can't tell you how many times I thought it. Many people in this world have thought it. Wouldn't it be, have been awesome to have been on the shores of Galilee and seeing Jesus face to face, doing what he did, hearing his actual voice. Have you ever thought that? Like, oh, if I was just there. Well, what is this passage saying? Jesus is saying, it's better if you weren't. It's better if Jesus goes away. <laughs> so now we have to ask, okay, Jesus, why in the world is it better if you go away? We're supposed to be following you. We're here as Christians, not necessarily Holy Spiritans. So why is it better for Jesus to send the Holy Spirit? Well, first, obviously, I've said it a couple times, because Jesus is leaving. He says it in verse, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. 
Now, Jesus is not leaving arbitrarily. He's not like, oh, well, the mission's failing, so I, I'm, I'm bailing. No, that's not what's happening. <laughs> you know that. What's happening is that Jesus is actually completing the mission that he was sent to do. He is actually inaugurating a, a new kingdom, the kingdom of, kingdom of God. And it's better for Jesus to send him because Jesus' physical presence is going to be removed. And that's part of God's plan. And then can you imagine the disciples thinking about this? Because he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. And even if he had said these things at the beginning, they would just seem like garble. Like Jesus immediately first shows up, begins doing his thing, and he says, oh, by the way, I'm leaving. It doesn't make any sense. It's better for us for Jesus to send him because Jesus is leaving. That means we're never alone. We're not alone in the Christian life. I mean, and you will have these moments, I think, if you haven't already, in your Christian life, when you see a moment or face a moment and you're going to wonder where God is. And you're going to wonder why you don't feel the presence of God like you think you should. Well, Jesus says here that the presence of God is not gone just because Jesus left. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. We should trust that Jesus sent him. It's also better for Jesus, for us, for Jesus to send him because the reality is, is that the, the disciples' sorrow would continue if Jesus stayed. I mean, look at this. Verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you, the truth is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Here's a couple things that are going on here. If Jesus stayed... God would be made a liar. Do you know that? If Jesus had stayed, all the Old Testament that said that the Messiah would come, suffer, die, and that the Holy Spirit would come after, all that would be falsified. So which is worse? Jesus leaving and the promise of God still going forward to something even better? Or Jesus staying and God being shown, a, God being made a liar. I mean, the answer is pretty clear, right? It's way better if Jesus goes. And they're focused on the temporary, the the here and now. He's like, because but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And then here's something you need to, need to notice. In verse 5, when he said, and none of you asks me where you, are you going, our flag should go up a little bit because Peter asked that question back in, I believe, chapter 13. And Thomas asked something similar. Well, why does Jesus say this? Well, there's some debate about this. But if they're sad and, 
if they are sad that Jesus is leaving, they're not really understanding what, what's happening. Because Jesus is going where he's supposed to go. He's going to be glorified. And that's the best thing for Jesus. And that's the best thing for the world. So what he's saying, I think, is that none of you is asking me really with a wanting to know the answer, where are you going? They don't really want to know because all they see is that Jesus is not going to be there. But the reality is their sorrow would have stayed if Jesus had not gone. It's also great to know that when we do have sorrow that Jesus does notice. But thirdly, it's better for us, for Jesus to send him because the Holy Spirit really is the helper. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus has used this term helper several times. And what has he said about it? He's, he's, what has he said about the Holy Spirit? He says, he has said in chapter 14, he has said that the helper will be with you forever. Now that's amazing, because Jesus is leaving. He will be with you forever. Then again in chapter 14, he will, verse 26, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's going to help us remember what Jesus said. And he's going to teach us what Jesus has said, help us understand it. Then in, verse, then in chapter 15, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. It is better for us for Jesus to send him because he's going to tell us the gospel in our hearts. And he's going to tell the world the gospel through us. The good news that Jesus did what he did and succeeded in what he did. But the question underneath all of this is do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Because if you trust Jesus, then you can trust the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent. If you don't trust Jesus, there's no way you're going to trust the Holy Spirit. Do you trust him? We should trust that Jesus sent him because the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus is trustworthy. It is. It's like every elder vetting process. When we are looking for qualified candidates for a, someone to fill the office of elder, they have to go through a vetting process. They have to be evaluated on character on certain things to see that they are trustworthy and then the existing elders come to you the congregation and say we believe that this guy is qualified and if you trust the el existing elders you will trust the one they bring forward right it makes sense we should trust that Jesus sent him second it's not just that Jesus sends him, but that the Holy Spirit comes to do certain things. And he comes to do certain things that are, should be reassuring to us. 
Second, we should trust that the world is convicted by him. Look at verse 8. And when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is huge. Because in the previous passage we checked out last week, we found out that Jesus is taught, the world is going to hate you as a Christian. The world hates the message of Christ. The world hates the person of Christ. So how are you going to persevere? Well, you're going to persevere. One of the ways is by him sending the Holy Spirit. And, was, and not only that, this passage speaks of vindication for us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of the reality that they rejected. So what does the Holy Spirit convict the, convict the world of? Well, it's pretty obvious. Three things. First, he convicts the world of sin. Concerning sin, verse 9, because they do not believe in me. This is their rejection of Jesus. I mean, that's, that, is, that is the turning point on heaven or hell, on eternal life or eternal death. Do you believe the one God sent. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? He convicts the world of sin. And as we get going into this, what is conviction? What is it? Is it just guilty feelings? Is it the courtroom sentence? Well, Acts 2, which I'm going to do a little plug here. We're going to be jumping into next week. Acts 2 tells us that the people who heard the gospel were, quote, cut to the heart. That's conviction. Conviction is when you hear something that is real and true, and God the Holy Spirit uses it to stab your heart. Guess what? When you get stabbed in the heart, it hurts. <laughs> but why does he do it? He does it for two reasons. He does it. Conviction is, is two reasons. One, to expose that what is wicked is really wicked. Because that's what it is. Concerning sin, because what? They do not believe in me. It is wicked that people do not believe in Jesus. So he convicts them that it is. But guess what? Our God is a God who loves and saves. And because he's a God who loves and saves, he doesn't convict just to, to damn everybody. He convicts so that people would repent and turn and trust in Christ. So when we read all of these things that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of, understand that he's wanting to expose reality for what it is and see people come to salvation. Because if we were not convicted of our, of our sin, why would we come to Jesus? Jesus comes as a Savior. 
primarily. He doesn't come just to say, well, you're fine and buddy-buddy. No, he comes because we have a problem. Got a major problem. It's called sin. It separates us from the life of God, which is true life. We are made to live with him. So he convicts the world of sin because they do not believe him. And second, he convicts the world of righteousness. Verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What did Jesus do during his earthly life? Remember one of the titles that he used for himself? He said, I am the light of the world. And what does light do? Light shows what's in there. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And when darkness is exposed for what it is, there's two possibilities. And he mentions this in John chapter 3 after the famous passage, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He said that those who walk in the light are saved. And those who hate the light because it exposes their darkness, they're not. They're, they remain in their condemnation. So concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, is the Holy Spirit's going to just keep doing the job that Jesus was doing. Except he's going to be doing it on a much bigger scale. And actually, I kind of forgot that this is part of what makes it better that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not limited into one person. Jesus willingly chose and was willingly sent as a person. He could minister to a limited amount of people and a limited amount of time from the outside to the person. The Holy Spirit comes who is omnipresent and can go anywhere and be in all of us in this room and all Christians across the whole world, across all centuries, that's a bigger effect. It's a bigger impact. And he works from the inside. He, works, he go, comes in and he works from the inside out. Because Jesus is going to the Father and, we, and his disciples will see him no longer but they will see that the Holy Spirit comes to convict concerning righteousness. Well, whose righteousness? <laughs> it's kind of a trick question. Whose righteousness? Both the world's definition of righteousness and God's definition of righteousness. He comes to expose the falsehood of believing that you're a good person and if you just try hard enough, you'll get in. If you just meet whatever work requirements that are naturally within you to attain to salvation of whatever God that's out there says is okay, then you're in. That's the world's righteousness. And it's false. And it leads only to death. And the Holy Spirit comes to expose that. But he also comes to show the world what true righteousness is. The righteousness of God that is through faith. As Romans 3 says. Because we don't have any righteousness of our own. It has to be given to us. It has to be imputed to us, to use the fancy term there, by Jesus who is himself righteous. And what is righteous? 
means he's totally right with God. Everything he does is right with God because he is God. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world that Jesus is righteous and that his righteousness is the only righteousness that will fly with God. And third, he convicts the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. We spoke about this a little, some time ago, but at the cross, there's a point of judgment. Again, either you believe him or you don't. If you believe him, the cross stands for mercy, the mercy of God. If you don't believe him, if you reject him, the cross stands for what's already true, judgment. And at the cross, he said, the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? Yep, it's Satan. It's the devil who has deceived people. And so when the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of judgment, he comes to expose to the world that their leader, their master, Satan, the devil, who has given them, feeding them all these lies, that he is judged, he is condemned by Jesus, and he has been defeated by Jesus at the cross. So basically the message of the Holy Spirit is, your leader, he's done. He has no power anymore. He is defeated. Who are you going to look to? Who are you going to trust? We should trust that the world is convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you and I are living witnesses of that reality if we trust Jesus. Because the only way we are Christians and the only way we grow as Christians is if the Holy Spirit does that convicting work in us. That we are changed, that we, are, that we see sin for what it is and that we see His righteousness for what it is and His mercy for what it is. He convicts. The Holy Spirit sent by Jesus is trustworthy. But it's not just a message saying that it's better. And it's not just a message saying, well, the world is going to be exposed for what, what it is. And hopefully people will come. One of the questions we, we should ask all the time is, well... Now that I'm a Christian, what do I do? What do I do as a Christian on Monday morning? What do I do on, as a Christian on Thursday afternoon when I just can't wait to get to Friday? What do we do? Well, finally, Jesus says this in verse 12. Basically, to sum it up, thirdly, we should trust that we are guided by him, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Holy Spirit of truth, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, Jesus doesn't leave us alone. But he sends the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He guides us. I remember, and maybe you had the same issue, I don't know. I love Nebraska for several reasons. One reason is that it has gridded streets. Is that they go north and south and east and west, for the most part. And you know where you're going. That's a huge deal for someone from Colorado because the mountains aren't there on the west all the time. So it's just plains, 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 plains. And so having streets that go straight, big plus. I, went, I took a trip to Minnesota one time. And if you've ever been to Minnesota, I don't know if they know what a straight road is. They follow the rivers, they follow the lakes. They follow the woods. They're everywhere, everywhere. And I can't tell you, I got out of the airport and started driving the rental car. And if I didn't have GPS, I really would have been lost within one minute. <laughs> and what is GPS? It's a guide. It tells you where to go and how to navigate things. The Holy Spirit is the greatest GPS ever helping us navigate because in this life sad to say it our lives are not like Nebraska highways and streets in York our lives go whoa all over the place places you never ever ever thought you would be we need guidance and especially if you want to live that life as a Christian. We need guidance. So where does he guide us? Where does the Holy Spirit guide us? Because if we're going to have a guide, we need to, we need to ask, where are you taking us? Well, he says where, he, where he's taking us. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you where? Into all the truth. Wow. You know how many voices and places in this world want to guide you and lead you into lies, false information? I mean, we have this rampant explosion of dis and misinformation these days. This is a huge comfort. He will guide you into all the truth. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that he's going to help us understand the outworkings of calculus? Does that mean he's going to help us understand the exact ratio of chemicals needed in order to um, fertilize a field? Well, because this is God's creation, that's not exempt from that, but that's not really what he's getting there. And I think when he says he will guide you into all the truth, that's, kind of, that's a really important the you remember back in John chapter 14, verse 6, what did Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. So what's the truth he's talking about? Where does he guide us? <laughs> Where Jesus was guiding us, to himself. The Holy Spirit guides us to Jesus. He will guide you into all the truth. That's why we can trust him, because he's not leading us anywhere different. It's not like, oh, well, it was Jesus here, but now we're going with Buddha over here. No! It's Jesus all the way through. And they couldn't understand some of these things. Jesus says, I have still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They couldn't bear them because they were, one, the emotional state they were in. Two, they hadn't been through the crucifixion and the resurrection. They hadn't been through those truths that we now on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb hold as central. There is no Christianity, there is no gospel without the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Linda had the nerds going into the bottle. The truth of God coming into us. Well, guess what? He also, in also one sense, we're the nerds. We're getting poured into the truth. We're getting poured toward Jesus. He will guide you into all the truth. Well, the next question is, is how does He do that? How does the Holy Spirit guide? The same way Jesus did. He speaks. He will guide you into all the truth, verse, 12, verse 13. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He speaks. And again, he doesn't speak just Arbitrary new stuff. No, this is the same Jesus. He does not speak on his own authority. So he has this, a similar mission as Jesus did. Jesus didn't speak a word apart from the will of his Father. Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority, but of his, him who sent me. Same deal for here. Whatever he, whatever he hears, he will speak. And how does he speak to us? I would say two ways. And there's some controversy about this. I'm just going to say it. The main ultimate authoritative way in which the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through this. God didn't write down his word just to say, listen somewhere else. God wrote his word down so we could come back again and again and again to see what he has to say. To see what he ha the Holy Spirit has to say. Secondly, it's the Holy Spirit himself because there are going to be times in your life where you're not going to have this in front of you. What are you going to do then? Well, first, the encouragement, the strong encouragement is memorize this thing. Memorize as much as you can. Even little bits of help. Because in the moment of crisis, in the moment where you need wisdom, which the Holy Spirit is spirit of wisdom, if you have this in your heart, the Holy Spirit will call it to mind. And he might use the Steve Peterson paraphrase in your heart. What I mean by that is, 
It's not going to be the verbatim whatever, whatever you read, but whatever the Holy Spirit's going to bring to mind is going to line up with what's in here. The Holy Spirit never, ever, 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 let me make that clear, ever says anything that contradicts what's already in here. He doesn't need to add anything new. We have all that we need. But when he does call it to mind, we can tell that it's him because it lines up with here. And he speaks to us. Some people say, and I, I could have sworn I heard a voice saying, or I had this feeling, or the thought came. <laughs> I love this one. The thought came. It's so passive. The thought came, and a scripture came to mind. No, the Holy Spirit brought that. How does the Holy Spirit guide? He speaks. He declares. And for these first disciples, this is even more important, because these are the guys who are going to be writing the end of this book. So what he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit guiding, as Peter says in his first letter, as these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they wrote the Holy Scriptures. He declared to them what Jesus wanted. And we're the beneficiaries of that. So he guides us into all the truth and he speaks it so that we understand it. And what's the point of his guiding? I mean, yes, we need guidance. But what's the object of our guidance? Is it just so that we have a successful life? Is it just so that we don't, we don't kill our kids by the end of the day after they've driven us crazy? What is it? What's the point of the Holy Spirit guiding? He says in verse 14, he says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What's the point of his, what's the point of his guiding? It's to glorify Jesus. It's to make much of Jesus. That's why, that's why we who are a community of the Holy Spirit, which is what the church is, we're a community of people indwelt by the Holy Spirit, living by the Holy Spirit. The poor purpose and point of our lives is not to glorify us and make much of us. It's to make much of Jesus. I was at the funeral of the associate pastor, or pastor of a simulation and something other, that Brad Johnson, you, the name um, of the pastor who just died recently, and unexpectedly, they had a sign up on the, on the platform and it, was, and it was one that he told over and over and over again. And he told it again and again to his kids. He said, make much of Jesus. Make much of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And what is Jesus's? All that the Father has. What's that? <laughs> Everything. Everything that the Father wants us to know is going to be told to us. That's crazy. That's amazing. And it's all so that the Son would be glorified. 
Because when the Son's glorified, God the Father's glorified. God is glorified in the Holy Spirit guiding. It's always to point to Him. So my question is, how are we as a church trusting the Holy Spirit as we move forward together? I mean, in one sense, it's very encouraging. We are, in some, in some senses. We have taken a step of faith to purchase a new building. But the majority of what the Holy Spirit declares to us is not the logistics of how to move into a new building or to how to own a new building. The majority of what the Holy Spirit declares to us is how to make disciples, how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, how, to, how to, for us to be satisfied in Jesus, for us to feed ourselves from the Word of God, and how to encourage others, how to give the word to others, to build them up. How are we going to trust the Spirit of Christ as we move forward as a church? And one of the ways that I hope to do that, um, and this is a, you need to be here next week, <laughs> kind of plug, is starting in June through the first week of July, we're going to be in the book of Acts. Just a few, just a little part of the verse, but that not part of a verse, a passage in Acts chapter 2 that God has laid on my heart that gives some identifying marks of a church that is trusting in the Holy Spirit and walking and glorifying Jesus. So that's where I want to go and that's where I want to encourage you to look forward to that and hopefully, by God's grace, by His Holy Spirit, we can grow in trust of, G of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus is trustworthy. And in one sense, the illustration I used, at the, the word picture I used at the beginning was the team leader didn't send anybody new because the Holy Spirit was there. He was operating in Jesus as Jesus was saying these words. Because John the Baptist says, I saw the Spirit of God come on him like a dove at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of the book happens. The rest of Jesus' life happens. It's not somebody new. It's someone completely trustworthy. So the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus is trustworthy. So let's pray.